0: running
1: we have a it's eight after the hour I am Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity this afternoon here on WSB the phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB talk and as always you can get the podcast the show notes by texting the word show to 444-999 the house of representatives has passed the tax reform oh by the way stick around there's some big news happening here in georgia today it's just coming across the wires amazon has placed a lobbyist in georgia uh in the lead up to picking its um headquarters second headquarters they haven't done this in every state making bids they're doing it in georgia that's significant we'll get to it but the big news right now the house of representatives has passed the tax overhaul plan i want to spend some time with you on this deliberately And the main reason I want to is because polls are showing a majority of Americans do not believe they'll get a tax decrease. They think they'll get a tax increase. And that's not actually true. Every tax bracket will get a tax decrease. They've made last minute changes to the plan that ensure you're getting a tax deduction. There are a couple of caveats that apply to very blue states like California and New York that don't apply here in Georgia or in most other states. Uh, But by and large, you will be getting a tax cut. For some people, it won't be significant. The more taxes you pay, the more of a tax cut you will get until you approach $5 million. And above $5 million, you'll get smaller and smaller tax cuts. But let me give you what the law is now and what you're going to get. Right now, there are seven income tax brackets. 10%, 15, 25, 28, 33, 35, and 39.6. After the bill, there are still going to be seven income tax brackets. There'll still be a 10% bracket. The 15 will go to 12. The 25 will go to 22. The 28 will go to 24. The 33 will go to 32. The 35 will stay at 35. And the 39.6 will go down to 37. So it sucks for the people who are at the 35 tax bracket. The corporate tax rate is right now 35% of this country. It will go to 21%. Small businesses right now in this country are taxed at the filer's income tax rate. Well, under the new plan, you'll be able to deduct 20% of the first $315,000 of income. So that's a pretty good tax break. For small businesses in this country. Right now, there's a $1,000 per child tax credit in this country that phases out starting at $75,000 for single filers and $110,000 for married filers. Under the new plan, the child tax credit will be $2,000 per child and it will also be refundable for people who pay no income taxes but pay payroll taxes up to $1,400. It will begin phasing out now, starting at four hundred thousand dollars instead of um, instead of seventy five thousand and one hundred ten thousand for married filers. The standard deduction right now is six thousand five hundred dollars for individuals, thirteen thousand for couples, and then you get a personal exemption uh, for you, your your spouse, and your children, uh, four thousand one hundred fifty dollars, under the final plan that's being passed today, the personal exemption is going to go away, but the standard deduction is going to be raised uh, 12, to $12,000 for individuals instead of 6500 and to $24,000 instead of $13,000 $13, for couples. So you'll actually get more with the new standard deduction than you did in the past, most likely, um, with the standard deduction plus the personal exemption. Now, right now, You can deduct your state and local income and property taxes from your federal taxes. Under the current incoming plan, you'll be able to deduct $10,000 of property sales and income taxes. You won't be able to go over that. This is what hurts the really blue states, and this is why the Democrats are so mad about it because of the massive uh, property and state income taxes. Now, a lot of these Democrats are pointing the finger at Texas saying this is going to hurt Texas, but they've run the numbers, and it's really not going to hurt people in Texas, even though Texans tend to have high um, property taxes, because they're still not as high as places like San Francisco and New York. Now, estates worth more than $5.49 million right now are taxed at 40%. Uh, right, they're going to raise the exemption to eleven million dollars for individuals and twenty-two million dollars for couples um, for estates. And right now, you can deduct your mortgage interest up to a million dollars, and they're going to change this so you can do interest on mortgages up to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to be deducted. So this is another reason Democrats are complaining. Those are the big issues. The other major significant issue of the tax plan is that right now, if a company brings money from an overseas bank account back into this country, they would pay 35% in income taxes. What they're going to do to get Apple in particular to bring back its tens of billions of dollars is they're going to tax companies at 8% on illiquid assets and 15.5% on cash brought back in. And what the illiquid assets means, the reason they're taxing it at 8%, is essentially if Apple, for example, brings its tens of billions of dollars in money in Ireland back into the United States and commits that money as it's crossing the international border to manufacturing facilities or job creation, they're going to get an 8% tax instead of a 21% or a 15.5% tax. So that is the lay of the land the major changes in the income tax. Essentially, if you are listening to my voice right now, with very rare exception, you will get a tax cut. And this highlights the partisan tribalism in the country right now because a majority of Americans don't like this bill and think they're going to get a tax increase. And largely it is because the president supports it. So a lot of people who would otherwise be inclined to give this a fair shake Um, have decided that they are going to get a tax increase and that if the president likes it, it must be bad. The president doesn't know what's in it. He hasn't really participated in the negotiations. But the media spin on this has so fixated on the negatives. And honestly, there have been a lot of people in the media misrepresenting what's actually in the legislation. The fact of the matter is, and this is not spin, this is the reality, this is at least now, um, you're starting to see it on CNN and elsewhere, noted that uh, this legislation will give you a tax decrease. In fact, at CNN and Fox and several others, there is a tax calculator where you can go and see whether or not you're going to get an income tax reduction. Where the most tax increases are going to come in are from states that have high income taxes and high property taxes, California, Illinois, New York in particular. And you're not going to be able to deduct 100% of that. You are going to become aware that your state taxes are very high. And right now, many people live in blue states, and those states can afford to be high-tax states— with massive social welfare spending, because they know their voters aren't ever going to really feel it since they're going to get a huge deduction for it from their federal income taxes. That's going away, and it's going to impact them in significant ways. Now, there is intrigue over this in that uh, you got a situation where Democrats are, say, Nancy Pelosi, in fact, about five minutes ago said this is the worst piece of legislation to ever pass the United States House of Representatives, the worst piece of legislation to ever pass the House of Representatives. In other words, it is worse than the Fugitive Slave Act. It is worse than the Alien and Sedition Acts. It is worse than a whole host of other acts declared unconstitutional um, because she doesn't like it. And she has to say that, by and large, because her voters in Marin County, California, north of San Francisco are probably going to get a tax increase. And the reason is because most of Nancy Pelosi's voters are exceedingly wealthy and have very expensive homes, and they will no longer be able to deduct all of their mortgage interest. And they have huge property taxes. And they're not going to be able to deduct that. So it will be a tax increase on Silicon Valley and um, Northern California elite and Hollywood types and New York City liberals and Connecticut liberals. It's going to be a huge tax increase on some of them, but it's not really a federal income tax increase on them. It's just that the federal government is going to make them start feeling the pinch of their state and local taxes. And they need to be mindful of that. Now, one of the big intrigues, this bill now heads to the Senate for a vote where it's expected because Bob Corker is going to support it. And Bob Corker is being accused of changing his mind at the last minute solely because there's a real estate provision in it that changes the way pass-through taxation is treated. If you have real estate investments and it passes through your income, how that's going to uh, be effective. Well, I can tell you now for certain Bob Corker was not involved in the negotiations on this provision. He didn't know they were there. They came from a House version. They were reconciled with Orrin Hatch, who led negotiations from the Senate. Uh, Bob Corker didn't know they were there, had to have it explained to him. It turns out that the media has been saying it was going to be a huge windfall for him. It turns out it's not actually going to be a huge windfall for him. And that's not the reason he voted for this. I have it on credible authority from members of the United States Senate that the reason Bob Corker flipped his vote is because of John McCain. He does not like this bill and would prefer to vote against this bill. But he knew if he were to oppose this bill, John McCain would have to stay in Washington, D.C., where he has taken up residence at Walter Reed Hospital fighting brain cancer. And by Bob Corker changing his mind and saying he would support this, John McCain was able to get on a plane and fly to Arizona to rest. Uh, Prayers for John McCain and brain cancer is a horrible, horrible thing. And Bob Corker appears to be taking one for the team here. He doesn't want to do it, but he feels obligated to do it so that John McCain can go get rest and ensure that this legislation passes. And Corker's willing to do that. So I'm not a huge Corker fan, but good for him. It was a kind thing to do. So we've got some new on the Amazon front here in Georgia. They are bringing a lobbyist in, uh, registering with the State Ethics Commission. A lobbyist, it sounds like they're seriously considering Atlanta. I wonder how much the the airport disaster will impact that. Um, But it certainly sounds like they are looking at it uh, more seriously than a lot of people expected. And they've already got their web services facility here. They're building a huge new distribution facility in middle Georgia. Kind of makes sense. But, you know, there's a a side here that is worth considering. And I really hope there are some members of the legislature listening to this right now. Because you've got a bigger transportation issue than just the roads in Atlanta, whether you tunnel or you bridge them, whether you put in rail, um, you've got a situation Where you've got out south of I-20, everything begins to slow down and things become more rural and less invested. And I would highly recommend, whether you look at Columbus or Macon or Savannah or Albany or Valdosta, you've got to expand airport capacity in Georgia, not just road and rail capacity. Look at what happened with the Atlanta airport meltdown yesterday where you had a massive capacity offload and flights that were diverted had to be diverted to other states. You had some uh, diverted to Myrtle Beach, for example. I have a friend who had a brother-in-law diverted to Myrtle Beach. You had others who were able to get into Chattanooga, blessedly so, but many others couldn't. And had you had a more um, had you invested in more air runway capacity in Georgia, you wouldn't have had as many people stranded so far from home or so so far from Atlanta, at least. And some of those that were headed to Atlanta um, at the last minute could have easily been diverted elsewhere, whether to Macon or elsewhere. I mean, you know, I was on the city council in Macon, for example, for a number of years. And if the state added 500 feet of runway, just 500 feet of runway, you could land larger planes and take off larger planes, also diverting some of the cargo capacity from Atlanta that's destined for middle and south Georgia and Savannah to middle Georgia. Um, it, it would be easily doable. Add 1,500 feet and you're you're talking a whole new ballgame. Or look at the Paulding County scenario where you got people conspiring against Paulding County. The state needs more aviation capacity, um, runway capacity, in the same way it needs rail and and uh, transportation. But I would submit that for the study committees about what to do with rural Georgia, you need runway capacity south of Atlanta. Because yes, I realize there are parts of rural North Georgia, some places without even internet access up in the mountains and stuff, uh, but the city is growing mostly north along the I-85 corridor towards Charlotte and up 75 towards Chattanooga. You need to spark some growth south to be able to take some of the capacity. And the best way to do that isn't rail or interstate. It's going to be capacity that involves um, aviation and being able to land cargo planes and things like that in middle Georgia. I would highly recommend the state look at those sorts of things uh, to be able to do this and even incentivize capacity for Amazon in the state. are in our bluegrass phase here at WSB as we round out the year I finally have co-opted Andrew welcome it is Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity our boom for the microphone needs some Viagra here you lift it up and it goes down uh, wow okay we're going to go to the phones now 404-872-0750-1800 WSB talk beginning with Steve in Duluth welcome yeah, hey, Eric,
0: um, I think the main thing that the new tax plan is going to do is going to lower the corporate rates, which will hopefully help spur on the economy, mm-hmm. and then limit the Obamacare mandate. But as far as the uh, individual taxes, I think it's really just kind of a little, uh, you know, working around the edges, but really won't affect people that much, including myself.
1: Well, it, it is very gimmicky in that this is really a corporate tax bill, and they just had to throw in the, the individual stuff to really kind of sell it to members of Congress. Uh, by and large, though, everyone is going to get uh, some level of a deduction, if only because of the massive increase in the standard deduction. Um, those of you, myself included, who itemize deductions probably won't see as much of a income tax break. Other than some of the lowering of the of the overall rates, Um, but one of the good things is that for upper income earners in particular who do a lot of itemized deductions, uh, they have uh, restructured the alternative minimum tax, and that will keep more and more people out of that. Well, well, the
0: other thing too is by adding the exemptions in with the deductions, now you've got to meet a higher threshold to be able to itemize. So where it used to be 13, now it's effectively 24. And like myself, I pay about twelve thousand in state income taxes. My wife and I mm-hmm. about six thousand in property taxes, and then charity on top of that. And we've been able to itemize, but now I think our taxable income will probably go up about eight thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, and just based on a, your a your state rate, income taxes. May be a wash. Yeah, with your state income taxes uh, being more than ten, you definitely will be impacted in that way. But
0: overall, hopefully it'll help the economy.
1: We'll see. Yeah, you know, I hope so. And it just seems to me, basically, if you look at the Reagan tax cuts, um, the very first tax cut Ronald Reagan did was not so much an individual income tax. It was a corporate tax reduction to encourage repatriation of money into the economy. And it encouraged and did incentivize so much money to come back into the economy. Uh, The economy exploded. um, And hopefully that'll happen again. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see. Well, yeah, and, you know, maybe if it does, it'll mitigate some of the anger that's out there right now. Uh, Back to the Volans we go. Mike in Atlanta. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to talk to you and get
2: your opinion on how you think reducing the corporate tax rate could potentially affect, and I hope hopefully stop, the the Bayer-Monsanto merger. I think it's going to be a bad thing for Georgia cotton farmers in particular, and I wanted to get your opinion on that.
1: You know, I'm not 100 percent familiar with the merger, although the very little that I have seen about it has everything to do with the financial implications of U.S. and foreign businesses. And one of the things we're seeing, in fact, is uh, London is starting to panic because Mm -hmm. if the United States does lower its corporate rate and is lowering the um, bar to repatriate money from overseas at an even lower rate, You're going to suddenly see a lot of businesses that have been putting capital in London and setting up headquarters in London suddenly returning to the nation. And that is going to disrupt a a lot of the the M and A scene out there.
2: I think that's exactly what the 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 interest behind the merger was was moving a a US based company at thirty five percent overseas at I think sixteen percent in Germany. And I wonder now, we'll have to wait and see, but with it being lowered to 21, hopefully that'll cause them not to move it overseas and, and hurt farmers. So yeah, and, and so much. keep in
1: mind as well that, I mean, your tax based on, you're, you're generally in corporate taxation. Where is your headquarters and where is your company based, even though you've got international capacity? And if suddenly this American company becomes a, a European company, well, then they have a different tax structure, and this will undermine that. The downside, though, is it Keep in mind some of these European countries, Ireland in particular, are still – we're going to be at 21 percent, and they're down to 10, 12 percent, and yeah. we're still going to see some companies stay. That's why, by the way, they are doing an 8 percent repatriation rate on capital if it's going into the investment of buildings and infrastructure uh, because that then makes it more competitive against Ireland.
2: I'd encourage you, Eric, to look into it more, and maybe some of you want to talk to just as it pertains to Georgia farmers, because there's some real negative implications for Georgia, especially Georgia cotton farmers.
1: Well, and, and you know, Mike, I, I just before you get off here, I want to thank you, because the moment you uttered the word Monsanto, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to get into a genetically modified food debate, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. All right, Eric. Merry Christmas. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Todd and Swanee, you are next. Welcome.
0: Hey, Eric, thanks. Uh, Great to be with you. I've got a couple points I'd like to make. First off, you know, the reason for Trump's low approval ratings, I believe, is because of all the negative press. And I know Fox News has put that number up, how many negative stories about him as opposed to positive throughout the mainstream media. So I think that's one reason for the low approval ratings. And secondly, you know the democrats are out there talking about how this tax plan is going to raise the deficit and you know you see the democrats get their marching orders and they all speak from the same sheet of music right out there but they you know they fail to admit that the last 8 years they've raised the deficit 10 trillion dollars you know more than every other us president combined right. between them and the obama administration so I think think we need to take a look at that and just realize that we're actually trying to do something to turn this economy around and and not have have 2% GDP growth every
1: year. Todd, I'm glad you said that because this is something – and Merry Christmas, by the way – this is something that I think Democrats uh, fail to reconcile and and deal with is that let's say the Republicans raised taxes instead of lowering taxes. Well, one, you're probably going to precipitate a recession, but two – you're still not going to close the gap on on the deficit. Forget the debt. The deficit is the annual gap between revenue and expenditure. The debt is, if you don't close that gap at the end of the year, added together and you get an overall national debt, which is now $20 trillion, essentially. Barack Obama single-handedly added $10 trillion to the national debt. All the other presidents combined were $10 trillion, and then Barack Obama did ten trillion by himself. So, how are we going to pay off the national debt? Now, Republicans will say that by cutting the corporate tax rate and cutting some of these other rates, that we are going to have a real economic stimulus where the, where the economy is going to grow by 5% instead of 2% or 6% instead of 2%, and that's going to generate more tax revenue based on growth of business, and that tax revenue based on growth of business is going to offset a, a stimulative effect. And there is merit to that, except their own dynamic projections show they're not going to get as much money as they need to close the hole, which is a problem. But Democrats need to ask themselves the question as well. What are they going to cut? Are they going to cut defense at a time China and Russia are are resurgent? Are they going to cut benefits? They've never shown an incentive to do that. If you're going to raise taxes because you're concerned about the national debt, you're going to have to cut stuff too. Because even if you raise taxes 100%, if you take 100% of every dollar earned by every American, you're not going to get enough money to pay off the national debt. You're not going to get that $20 trillion. Why? Because people are going to change their behaviors. You're going to create a black market. You have to worry about things. You have to worry about uh, people's behaviors. And they don't seem to want to do that. Um, they don't want to see, they don't seem to want to deal with the fact. And I've asked this for years, Every way back when I was on CNN, I would always ask Democrats who were complaining, saying we needed tax increases, what are you going to cut? Because even if you raise taxes, you're still spending so much. The only time we've ever had real cuts in this country is sequestration. In the last several decades, we need more sequestration. But look what happened with that. The Republicans didn't have the will to sustain it. They didn't have the will to make those cuts. Back to the phones we go. Peyton in Atlanta, you're next. Welcome.
0: Hey, Eric. First time caller. Really enjoy it. Thank you. Um, I thought you'd find... I'd like to get your comments. I
2: have a family member, uh, a niece and nephew, that live over the split-time Ireland and England. Mm -hmm. And they're uh, accountants. They work primarily with uh, the tech industry, uh, uh, technology companies. Mm -hmm. And is you know, back when... Uh, The election was going on, and Trump was talking about a tax cut. Right then, both of them said, if the corporate tax is lowered in the U.S., there's going to be a mass move of the companies we work with here to go to the U.S. So they started making plans to come to the U.S., and uh, hopefully they'll be here this
0: summer.
1: Well, uh, I, I, well, I don't doubt that at all, because even though Ireland has a uh, lower tax rate here, we've got to keep in mind the Europeans have a higher regulatory burden. So we've not only reduced the cost of taxes for these major corporations, we've also reduced the regulatory burden. The, the Trump administration on its own, without even Congress being involved, has done that. Uh, the two of those are a real economic driver for companies coming to the United States. The Bush administration, deserve some of the blame for chasing capital out of the country by passing Sarbanes-Oxley as an overreaction yeah. to the Enron situation. Uh, a lot of companies went to London. In fact, after Sarbanes-Oxley, there were more companies incorporated on the London Stock Exchange than on the New York Stock Exchange, and it's been that way for a while. It's starting to reverse now, and it's starting to reverse because of the deregulation of the Trump administration. And now this tax cut, I, I really do think we are going to see a massive flood back in into the United States of American companies at first. And American companies would prefer to spend their money here and prefer to spend their time here and prefer to invest here if they know the regulatory state is going to keep low. And their gamble is that if they can bring the money back under the Trump administration doing all this stuff, even if a Democrat gets elected next, they'll say, look what happened don't overburden us again or we're going to have to move again. And no Democrat would want to see these companies go back overseas and be asked to explain why it happened on their watch and not Donald Trump's watch. It's 56 after the hour. Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity. Let's go back to the phones. 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, Steve, you are up next. Welcome, Steve.
0: Yes. Hi there. Hey, hey, Eric. Hey, do you know if it would be advantageous for a small company to convert the LLC to a corporation to take advantage of tax breaks?
1: Well, I, I first, uh, I, I feel obligated as a former lawyer who dealt in taxes to tell you you should talk to your accounting professional and lawyer first. But um, it, my gut would tell me I, I wouldn't be sure, and here's why. Uh, because though the corporate rate is lowered to 20%, remember that if you then draw money from the corporation, you are taxed again. And one of the reasons at the last minute they added a provision to allow you to deduct up to 20% of the first $315,000 of an LLC income is because they want to try to balance out uh, the treatment of corporations and small businesses. Um, So you really got to check with an accountant or a, a tax professional after this bill passes. But my sense is they did a fairly good job for most people of balancing it out. And you got to remember the double taxation issue of a corporation if you then try to take money out of it. All right, thank you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you too. All right, uh, you guys be patient with me because we got a lot of people who are on hold and we don't have a lot of time left for me to take phone calls. When we come back, I do want to move on to other stories as well. The first year of the president's term, got some big gains here with the passage of tax reform. Still pinning in the Senate, but we know it's going to pass. And Sally Yates, she's pinned a big op-ed in, in USA Today basically saying resist. Um, although more diplomatically than that, makes you wonder, does she want to run for the Senate in Georgia? Does she want to run for governor in Georgia? And speaking of the gubernatorial candidates in Georgia, donors among the National Republican Party and in Georgia are still hoping, hoping against hope someone will come in. I don't know what their problem is with the current crop of Republicans, but the donors keep making voices that they're not super happy. And, of course, we have the Obama-Iran deal. He scuttled a law enforcement operation against a terrorist organization in order to get a deal with Iran. Barack Obama did that. No, no, not Donald Trump.
0: Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Lift off. We have a lift off.
1: Hello there. It is eight after the hour. This is not Sean Hannity. I don't know who you were expecting at this hour, but it's me, Eric Erickson, here on WSB. Uh, Hannity is on vacation today, and I am guest hosting in Atlanta, we can say, Um, preempting whoever his... National Guest Host is in any of it. Phone number 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. Uh, we still got a, I want to take two more calls on tax reform uh, that I've already got, so don't call it on tax reform because i got to move on to other stuff, including the president's first year in office. Uh, we need to get to that. And so let me go on and take these phone calls now, and we will get into Sally Yates' Amazon the gubernatorial race, et cetera, here in a moment. But, Scarlett, you're next. Welcome.
0: Hey, Eric. I'm a big fan. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I am a fairly new retiree, and I'm just trying to read the tea leaves of all this uh, tax policy thing. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, I'm not interested. I mean, the economy growing is great. I don't need a raise. I don't need a new job. Um, so what's your thought, and um, what do you hear about fixed income folks and how that's going to be impacted?
1: I think folks on fixed income will do well here because the, well, let me go back to the tax rates here. So the way that the tax rates are going to change um, will be the 10% rate will stay at 10%. The 15 year rate will go to 12%. The 25 rate will go to 22%. The 28% rate will go to 24%. 33 to 32. 35 stays the same, and then 39.6 to 37. Most senior citizens tend to be in the what are now 15 and 25 break, will soon be 12 and 22 break, uh, as their 401ks and, and parts of their IRAs are. Uh, taxed as they come out of the account having not been taxed when they go into the account and since they're in a lower tax break now tax rate now that will help them uh and it looks like as well there will be a lot of senior citizens tend to have property holdings um and those property holdings through the pass through taxation will actually be at a lower rate now uh so i i think senior citizens by and large on fixed incomes will turn out well here all right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, one thing we got to remember as well with that situation with, with senior citizens and this tax plan is that they are the largest voting constituency for the GOP, so they're going to turn out very well in this. Uh, the GOP is going to make sure of it. Rocky in Atlanta, welcome. Hey, thank you, Eric. I was pleasantly surprised to hear you were in for Sean today. Well, thank you.
0: You know, I was, you know, I mean, listen a lot, and I find it ironic that, over eight years, and they're adding $10 trillion to the debt, and nobody said a word. And now they're talking about giving us someone back, like like it's their money and they're giving it back to us. Now they're all upset about $1.5 trillion over 10 years, mind you.
1: It really is somewhat hilarious to watch Democrats who haven't cared about the national debt in a decade... Uh, suddenly care about the national debt. I mean, concurrently, though, if we're honest, it it is interesting to watch some Republicans who have been screaming about it forever being dismissive and saying it doesn't matter now. uh, Roles reversed. However, um, Democrats refuse to believe there can ever be an economic stimulus from a tax cut because they believe that all that government is the money, uh, all that money is the government's and the government stimulates the economy, not private enterprise. They are privately. Yeah, go ahead. Do you believe
0: these polls when you say you know they say forty six percent of the people don't approve of this tax cut? You know, I, oh, I, I, I
1: hard to believe. I, I totally believe it, but people are stupid, so of course uh, you <laughs> got this number of people who listen. Ask any voter. Any voter about a complicated policy and they're not going to know enough of the details to form an opinion and yet they're going to give one anyway Uh, because in America today everyone's an expert even though they're not. So you've the the media and the Democrats have been beating people.
0: And you would aspire to be like them. Now they're demonized and they don't do enough.
1: Right. And And I find that sad. It is. um, But here's the thing. It doesn't matter because if all of a sudden on January 1st, people are seeing an increase in their paycheck, they're going to realize they were wrong and change their mind.
0: And that's what I'm hoping for.
1: That's what I'm hoping for. Rocky, thanks very much. Merry Christmas to you. You know, about this tax reform bill, it's not really tax reform so much as it is rates reductions. It, it, It will simplify things a little bit, but not much. But this is a big win for the president, and it is really only the major legislative win that the president has gotten this year. He did not uh, get—he didn't get a border wall. He didn't get uh, Obamacare repeal. He didn't get his version of immigration reform. But look at what he did get this year. The tax reform bill will gut the individual mandate under Obamacare. And in gutting the individual mandate, it will further destabilize Obamacare, necessitating fixes in the future, whether the Democrats want them or not. So he's got that. He's got tax reform. The president has uh, gotten rid of the president, president Obama's DACA and, uh, and DAPA reforms. The president was able to get Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, and he's begun filling the judiciary at the local level, at the district level, not as much as he probably could, thanks to the Senate, but he's working on it. They have engaged in a wholesale gutting of the Democratic regulatory state, and they've done that without Congress, but Congress itself repealed a large number of Obama-era regulations passed as they were on their way out the door, and by passing them under the, the, I forget the in the actual name of, of what they did, but in the last 90 days, any regulation can be reversed by a vote of Congress, and no future executive can reinstitute those regulations, and Congress has done that. The president has scaled back uh, presidential declarations of national monuments. He's opened federal land to drilling and expo- exploration for oil. He's completely upended the Obama era uh, foreign policy. He's taken a harder line against Iran. He's moved the embassy in in Tel Aviv to Jerusalem or is moving it. He's upended our relationship with China. He's begun to destabilize as best he can North Korea. These are significant policy accomplishments. They are significant policy accomplishments that any other Republican president would be getting uh, lots of coverage for. And all this president is getting is massive yelling Uh, massive complaints, massive griping, uh, and the media does play a role in that. We had a caller earlier, and the president himself today said he thinks his unpopularity has a lot to do with the media. Now, I would note to you that the media has fixated negatively on the president all year, and there have been times where the president's popularity has gone up closer to 50% but in the last couple of months it has trended downward and has trended downward consistently. This is the President of the United States who has a massive bully pulpit and he can penetrate the media bubble better than anyone else in the world because of it. Instead, he has played off of it and fed into it with his tweets and his public comments. The President, if he were to fall off the radar, it just honestly, If the president were to disappear for two weeks, we know he's in the White House, they take pictures of him, but he doesn't say anything on Twitter, he doesn't say anything to the cameras, there are no public appearances, I suspect the president's popularity would rebound. I do. Because I think that the president uh, has essentially gotten it into his head, which at one time it was true, and I don't think it is anymore, that there's no such thing as bad press. I think there is bad press now. And the president gets a lot of bad press, and a lot of that bad press is generated by his acrimonious relationship with the American press. And the old saying remains true. You can't you cannot fight someone who buys ink with the barrel, by the barrel. I mean, the president is fighting the entire American media establishment except perhaps Fox News. And even local media is out to get to the president. Yes, it is totally fair. The media is out to get to the president. The president seems out to get them, so they're fighting back. Would they be fair otherwise? No, they wouldn't be fair otherwise. There'd still be a liberal bias, but I don't think it would be as acrimonious as it is. There are ways for the president to mitigate these things, and he has to. The president has to mitigate these things because if you're, I mean, right now, he is more unpopular in his first term, headed into a mid year election, than any other president of the United States ever since polling's been taken. That is not a good thing for his party because more and more Americans vote party for candidate. They don't vote candidate for party, meaning they look for the R or the D next to someone's name. They don't care who that person is. Uh, They either want to support the president's team or they want to oppose the president's team. And there are vastly more energized people on the opposition side right now than on the president's side. And if there are vastly many more people on the opposition side than on the president's side, and we go into an off-year election where the party out of power tends to be vastly more energized, it hurts his party overall. Now, will an improving economy improve his poll numbers? Absolutely. If this tax plan goes through, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the economy expands, the economy grows, and the president is cheered on by people. There will still be a motivated partisan base. We are at that level of tribalism in this country now. Let's just admit there are people in this country for which the president of the United States could do nothing ever good for these people. He could cure cancer tomorrow and they would attack him for causing a population crisis in this country. There are people like that out there and we need to keep that in mind. And so what you got to do is you got to figure out how many persuadable people are there and can we mitigate the damage. And I think it's totally possible even for this president to do, but he's got to do it. And right now he isn't. I would suggest that he go media silent for a few weeks, let the tax package kick in economically and watch the economy grow and take every bit of credit for it he possibly can and just watch what happens to his popularity. I am assuming by now you guys have seen the video of the F-18s chasing the unidentified flying object over the Pacific. That actually is impressive video because you could tell it's a big object and it just turns in the sky, just rotates on itself. Um, But I'm always amazed by people who are so quick to embrace aliens have visited Earth. I, I've always wanted to figure out it, through surveys, what, 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 is, what does the Venn diagram look like between people who believe aliens visit the Earth, people who believe that the robot army is going to rise and overtake us with the similar, with the singularity, and atheists? Because I wouldn't be surprised if it is almost one circle instead of three. Um, I listen. It, it, there is clearly there was an object, and it clearly seemed to defy the laws of gravity and physics, as we know them. But did they? I mean, that's part of the question. I do have to admit that I know a guy, and he works in Washington. He is very prominent in the healthcare debate, and he is all in on belief. Uh, that there is a Vatican conspiracy to cover up uh, aliens visiting planet Earth. Now, maybe, just maybe, there are advanced aliens out there. And apparently, um, there's another New York Times report, I think, or, or Washington Post, That the military has recovered metal alloys in some of these places where they've encountered these objects and there are no known metal alloys? I mean, they they don't exist on the planet and yet they found them? Mm, How do we know they don't exist? Maybe it's the Russians. Maybe it's the Chinese. Maybe it's another division of the American government. Why do we say aliens? Maybe it's Jesus and the angels. They're, they're scoping out, getting ready for the second coming. They, I mean, that, that's just as plausible as aliens. But the fact of the matter is, based on the technology we have now and the technology we have on the present horizon, we're not going to visit those alien situations anytime soon. And the, the, you know the galaxies in the universe are more and more moving apart from each other. In another thousand years at night, assuming Jesus hadn't come back yet, um, the, the, the stars, the constellations are going to look completely differently because the, the galaxies continue to separate further and further apart. I mean, we don't have the, the capability of traveling by light speed within this galaxy outside of our solar system. We can't travel that fast. I mean, it would take uh, decades to go to the nearest star as fast as we can possibly go, and that wouldn't guarantee a return trip. So to think that there is a an alien civilization that has invented a way to travel faster than light that can get here, maybe they do wormholes, maybe they do inter, interdimensional jumps. I have no freaking clue. But we can't, and we're not going to anytime soon. And so I'm just at a loss as to why we're spending so much private and public resources to investigate stuff because we think aliens, as opposed to maybe another country out there really has a leg up on us technologically and we don't even realize it. Maybe, just maybe, that could be it. And I'm not opposed to trying to figure it out because clearly this was something. That video, there was clearly an object there and it clearly flew in ways that we don't have anything capable of doing that. What was it? I just don't think we need to jump to aliens immediately. You know, very often, I just fly by the seat of my pants. I'm sure you can tell. Today, I actually jotted down an outline for him. Here's everything I'm going to talk about since I'm going to be on the radio for four hours. Four hours. The pig farmer just decided to be mean today. I I, I swear I didn't volunteer for this. (laughs) He also asked if I could have a meeting with him at 4 p.m. while I'm on the radio. He sat in his office by himself lecturing me and then came and told me what we had decided <laughs> in any of it. Sean Hannity is off today and he has a guest host and so I'm guest hosting for the guest host in Atlanta. The phone number is 40487207501800 WSB talk. I, I gotta skip ahead to the gubernatorial story um because I I, I, I find it odd. Uh, now, and, and let me set this up for you this way. We are going to have, in fact, we've got all of the Republicans now scheduled uh, beginning in mid-January. We are going to have the Republicans uh, and we've invited the Democrats and we're going to bring them in studio here at WSB for a live audience in the live lounge where the audience will be able to submit questions and I will ask them questions. We will have, it'll be a conversation. It's not going to be combative. I'm not going to do the Tim Russert, well, here you are voting against this last year and for it this year, and it's the same bill, what changed, sort of thing. I, I want to know, who are you? Why are you running? What do you want to do for the state? What are your big policy pushes and vision? And what separates you from everyone else? So those are the questions. And it'll be probative in those areas. I'll, I'd like to let the conversation go as it as it goes, and build questions off where the conversation goes. And we'll take questions from the crowd as well. You will be invited to participate. And the way you will be invited to participate is we're going to email out to people who are committed to WSB, to the activism we do during the evening news and uh, listen to the podcast, and we're going to send an email out to that list first. Uh, so that they have the first shots at getting seats and then we'll open it to everyone else as time goes on. If you wish to get a seat at the Live Lounge for the gubernatorial candidates, what you can do to improve your standing and uh, get ahead of the pack is to sign up to the email list. And the way you sign up to the email list is you subscribe to the podcast and listen. We tell you in the podcast. So you can text the word show to four 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 nine nine nine. And you'll get all the opportunities afforded to you of being first in line. And we're going to set up an Eventbrite page. We will send people to the Eventbrite link. And there will be so many seats available. And we are allowing each of the candidates to bring in some supporters or people they want to hear them talk. And so we will have a room where you'll be able to go and you'll be able to participate. Um, But the way to do this, again, is you need to text the word SHOW to 444 and you got to get the podcast anyway, because the Christmas show will be out uh, over the weekend, and you'll want to listen to it. If you're traveling, you'll still not want to miss it, and I do have to say how very fortunate I feel to be at a station that will allow me these last few years to do a Christmas program uh, and to talk about uh, the reason for the season And all that, Uh, I very much appreciate it. But that gets me into the, the gubernatorial race here, where donors in the state are still whispering to political reporters that they are uninspired by the Republican field. Uninspired. We have a lieutenant governor, a secretary of state, and two state senators, and a retired soldier running for governor in Georgia. They have had regular accomplishments, um, and they're all good people. And to the extent that donors are not excited, and I keep seeing these stories building, and I've had reporters asking me about them, and my response is that they're always, always unexcited by donors. They are always turned off by the candidate, Not the donors. The donors are turned off by the candidates. The donors are always unhappy. The donors are always uninspired. I think the real question is look at the grassroots and where the grassroots. And the grassroots seem to look at these candidates and they're starting to gravitate to candidates and they are on the Democratic side. I got to tell you. So Stacey Abrams has given an interview to a group where she has said that uh, she doesn't believe in triangulation because the people you're trying to reach out to call you hypocrite and the people who you're with think you don't have don't really have the uh, principles you claim And so it's a no-win situation. I really think that Stacey Abrams is playing the donors for the fool on the Democratic side. And it's working because they're not very bright, these donors on the Democratic side these days. Uh, They've had such a good run at investing wisely over the years. They've started to get lazy, and they're believing the hype. And it is mind-boggling to me that Democrats are looking at Stacey Abrams' campaign versus Stacey Evans'. And saying we're going to go with her instead of Evans. Now she is a charismatic leader. She got along well with Republicans in the state legislature, but she's also a progressive. She organized at the at the Netroots Netroots Nation thing they had in Atlanta this past year. She her campaign was behind a protest of Stacey Evans, protesting Stacey Evans for being white. Do you think that's going to go over very well with independent voters in the state, that a candidate for governor organized a racial protest against a white person? I don't think it would go over any better than than organize a protest against a black person. And yet it happened. And yet nationally, Democratic Democratic donors have been just wowed by Stacey Abrams. But locally— you'd be hard-pressed to find major Democrats who really support her, even those who have let her uh, use their name because of her support for them. They, you talk to them privately, they're not very excited about it. Uh, the, and this is going to be a, a nationally a problem for Democrats as the Democratic Party has decided everyone hates Trump and it's safe to be a liberal. They're going to be as liberal as they can, and I think it comes back to hurt them over time. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven five zero one eight hundred WSB Talk. Those are the numbers. Let's go back to the phones. Dan, you are next. Welcome.
2: Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm uh, just here for business uh, in Atlanta, uh, flying back to DC tonight. Actually. You
1: think you're Thanks. flying back?
2: Yeah, I hope I'm, I hope I'm flying back. Thankfully, just for the day. Uh, but I just wanted to point out the fact that you know the last year under unified Republican control. We've seen an incredible amount of activity, especially at, uh, you know, the House and the Senate side. You know, before this, Democrats were talking about how Republicans were obstructionists and do nothing. And, and now we've seen, you know, a Supreme Court nominee go through and, and is sitting right now. Uh, we see uh, getting out of the disastrous TPP, uh, Paris Climate Accord. You know, we're about to pass a historic tax reform. Um, we're going to take on immigration Uh, after we get past uh, CR and and debt ceiling. And, and, you know, the fact of the matter is we're seeing action that's helping the American people. And Democrats can't stand that because of the fact that they're sitting on the sidelines saying things like the tax reform bill is not going to help Americans. It's certainly going to help Americans. It's going to help myself. It's going to help you. It's going to help all your your listeners. And it's going to help American businesses, too. I don't understand... How they
1: could they could sit there and and, and talk about this? Um, well, but- you know, let let's here's my theory, Dan, on why the Democrats are doing this. And I think it's narrative building. Um, they know it's not true. They're using the same arguments that they use every single time. I mean, every time the Republicans submit legislation, it is the worst piece of legislation to ever become before come before this Congress. They say it every time. Uh, they always say this is only to help the rich. They always say these things. And so what they're trying to do, I think, is they think they're going to win next year just because uh, they're the party out of power and, the, and that tends to go their way in off years. And so they're going to be able to say, hey, look, if the Republicans hadn't uh, hocked it to the rich and done the worst bill ever, then, then and they're going to say, oh, we have a mandate because that's what we said and, and people bought it. When really people aren't, they're reacting to the president of the White House. They're not actually voting for Democrats. They're, they're more or less voting against the White House. Uh, but they want to have those talking points in place.
2: Oh, absolutely. And in 2018, when people start seeing more money come back in their paychecks, I mean, uh, it's going to start January 1st uh, once this tax bill uh, passes. So, uh, you know, God bless the IRS for for putting something together that uh, we're going to have to uh, file our taxes under. But uh, you're going to see more money in your paycheck, and that's going to be a big boost to the economy. Consumer spending is going to go up, not just uh, a sentiment. We're going to see GDP skyrocket. Um, the stock market might even go higher. It's uh, it, it's really something that is going to be such a positive net impact in 2018. And I'm so glad that the Republicans were finally able to get something passed. I know Congress only acts when there's an emergency. Well, there's an emergency, and they finally got their act together.
1: Amen. Dan, uh, safe travels and Merry Christmas to you.
2: All right. Merry Christmas to you, too. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Dan is right here, folks, uh, that when you... And when your skeptical friends, who think they're actually getting a tax increase, suddenly realize they've gotten a tax decrease, it's not like this is going to blow up in the Republicans' face. What they have done is they they have pulled a trick Barack Obama pulled with Obamacare, and they have set landmines that will explode beneath the Congress in 2026. See, in order to get this through under reconciliation it can't impact the national debt long-term. And so they have to cut off the tax benefit in 2026. So whoever is in charge in 2026 is going to have to deal with this or see all the rates go back up, see the corporate tax rate go back up, all that. Uh, And that is going to cause uh, major problems for whoever is in power. And it gives the GOP a big campaign issue that year Uh, against Democrats to say, oh, they they voted for a tax increase or they let a tax increase happen. It's totally political on that front. But it's what Barack Obama and the Democrats did, so they can't really complain about it. Now, can they? It is 55 after the hour. And right now, um, there is a CNN is on in the studio, and there is a Tom Steyer advertisement encouraging people to impeach the President of the United States. Democrats, you should know, are somewhat livid about this because they don't think that actually will motivate the Democratic base as much as it will motivate the Republican base. The Democrats are already motivated. The key for the Democrats next year is to just make sure the Republicans don't get motivated, and they're really afraid that a guy like Steyer is going to mobilize Republican opposition to the Democratic wave that is otherwise probably building. We'll see, um, but if he wants to throw money away, uh, let him throw money away. Now, in his thinking, by the way, Tom Steyer, he's the— gay billionaire Democrat who poured money into Georgia to make it look like there was huge opposition to religious liberty in Georgia when the people who were actually calling members of the state legislature turned out many of them weren't actually from the state. It worked. I mean, it, 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 he spent his money wisely on that. Uh, a very, very liberal guy. And and he's his thinking here is that the Democrats are going to win anyway. And what he wants to do is to be able to say, hey, look, it is the impeach Trump thing. That really fired up the opposition, and so now you have to impeach him. Of course, then you get Mike Pence, and he won't like Mike Pence either. He'll start an impeach Pence opposition. I I wonder if the Democrats taking back Congress helps Donald Trump in the same way the Republicans taking back Congress did help Barack Obama. Because he has somebody to run against. Right now, Donald Trump is trying to run against the media— but the media isn't in Washington obstructing his agenda. It is, to a degree, Republicans in Washington, incompetent, unable to push his agenda. So I suspect uh, suspect strongly that if the Democrats do take back Congress, that it actually helps Donald Trump. He actually has somebody to campaign against. He actually has someone he can point to and say they're the bad guy. Because right now he can't really do that. I mean, people see the Republicans and they say, well, you control the Senate. They don't think, well, there's a filibuster. We got to get the Republicans. No, no, they, they see Republicans control the Senate. They should be able to do this. And he has a hard time processing it, or the voters do. The Democrats, I, I do think, are probably going to take back the House. I just don't know that they're going to take back the Senate. It's certainly easier now for them to be able to take back the Senate because they picked up Alabama when no one thought they can. And if they just pick up uh, Arizona and Nevada, then they, they got the Senate if they can pick up Arizona and Nevada. The problem is that Hillary Clinton lost, with the exception of Nevada, Hillary Clinton lost every single state up for play in the Senate this year. That's not good for the Democrats, but they are incumbents, and incumbents play on defense, and they tend to win. Um, they may be able to get Heller in Nevada because Hillary won there, and he's not super popular, but elsewhere— I don't know.
0: Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Lift off. We have a lift
1: off. Well, my phone is lighting up like a Christmas tree. Uh, With breaking news alerts from every news organization, and uh, now also, Charlie just sent me this one. It it is hitting the airwaves, CNN breaking in right now with this. The House of Representatives going to have to vote again on the tax reform package. Why? Because um, there was a Senate procedural rule violation. Yes, the Senate could waive the rules requirement with a 60-vote majority, but that would need Democrats, and it's not going to happen. Um, Now, it looks like there is a parliamentary issue in question as to how this proceeds in the Senate under Senate rules. The House of Representatives didn't seem, let's see, going to Jamie Dupree's Twitter feed here now. Ah, I suspected, yes, I told you guys this. I told y'all this when this first passed, that I was surprised the Democrats didn't object. Um, the 529 plan uh, that Ted Cruz authored, the homeschooling provision is a problem under Senate rules and has to be taken out. Uh, it's two issues. According, This is from Jamie Dupree right now um, on his Twitter feed. See, the 529 provision would violate the Byrd rule. The Bird rule about uh, raising, affecting the national debt negatively over a 10 year period, and the 529 rule would. And the Democrats did not object to it the first time through the Senate because they were caught off guard in the middle of the night by Ted Cruz doing it. Well, uh, they've come up with it now. Democrats are saying there are three provisions that violate Senate rules and have to be removed, forcing the House to re vote. Uh, We will see. We will see. Um, Democrats are pushing very hard. It all depends on the parliamentarian in the Senate and whether or not the Republicans stick with it. Um, But it's more or less a technical snag at this point because those aren't massively substantive changes to the Republicans' tax plan. Um, so we will see where this goes. It looks like it is going to pass the Senate tonight with those uh, three, two to three provisions changed. We'll go back to the House. There is no more opposition in the House, so it will still pass. Within the next 24 hours, it will still pass. There will be a signing ceremony uh, probably no later than Thursday uh, with the president over this tax legislation. Now, It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News, and I've been on since 3 o'clock, was on for Sean Hannity. Now here with the Evening News, you can go to uh, theresurgeon.com and text the word show to 444-999 to get the podcast and the daily email. I want to move on finally. Two days later, and the president is right on this, the president said, nobody is covering the story of Barack Obama undermining law enforcement activities. Uh, because he wanted to deal with Iran. The liberal rejoinder here on its surface is right that we wouldn't know about Barack Obama scuttling the law enforcement investigation of Hezbollah terrorist group, but for diligent reporting by the Politico. That's true. That is absolutely true. But there's a problem. The problem is the way the media covers these things. And this gets to the president's tweet today that the media is not covering this. Um, We got CNN on here in the studio and they're not covering it. MSNBC isn't covering it. Fox has been covering it. But ABC, CBS, NBC, they're not covering it. And they're all saying, well, the Politico covered it. The Politico covered it. Well, yes. Yes. But if this were George W. Bush who had done something like this, if this was Donald Trump who had done something like this, you would see every major media outlet in the country spending days examining the impact. And they're not with this Obama-Iran deal. They're not. They objectively aren't. And so we should. So um, we're going to have the Senate vote, then we're going to have the House vote on that, and we got the Obama situation. Barack Obama desperately wanted to deal with the Iranians, desperately wanted to deal with the Iranians. And it's very funny, by the way, to see how Democrats are now spinning this deal, because originally this was a deal that would keep Iran from developing nuclear weapons. Now, the Democrats say it was a deal to keep Iran from from manufacturing nuclear weapons for at least a decade So it went from keeping nukes out of their hands permanently to keeping nukes out of their hands for a decade. Notice the change in the Democrats' posture. What Barack Obama did was he shut down a law enforcement investigation into Hezbollah. Hezbollah, let me me back up here. So there are two major terrorist groups in the the Lebanon-Israel area. There is Hamas and there is Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a Shiite group and Hamas is a Sunni group. These are two different Muslim, basically, the Muslim branches, Muslim denominations, if you will. The Sunni are the majority Muslims and Hamas is Palestinian. And Hamas operates as a terrorist group out to get Israel. Hezbollah is a terrorist group that is Shiite. It is funded by primarily by Syria and Iran, the two major areas of, of Shiite Islam. And it has largely centered itself in northern Israel and in Lebanon and has for a while had an official party in the Lebanese parliament. It is a terrorist organization, though. It has also Hezbollah militants have gone into Yemen to fight the Saudis. And Iran... Funds Hezbollah heavily. But because of the U.S. restrictions and sanctions on Iran and our prohibition on sending money to Iran, essentially we had a rule in place that any bank that does business in the United States cannot send money into Iran. No bank. Even like uh, Deutsche Bank, Swiss Bank, um, uh, RBC, all of these banks... You could not, if you wanted to do business in the United States, you could not do business in Iran. And these banks all complied over time. There were investigations occasionally, there were fines occasionally, but by and large, it worked. And Iran could less and less afford to fund Hezbollah. So Hezbollah turned to the drug market. They were sending drugs into the United States, and American drug addicts, perversely, were funding a terrorist group that wanted to kill Americans. Yes. Uh, there was also some weird provision that they also were dabbling in used car sales, believe it or not. But mostly it was drugs. They were, they were manufacturing opioids, and cocaine, and marijuana. And they were flooding the West with these drugs. They were controlling the trade. They were going to South America, working with drug cartels, uh, developing new trade routes for drugs. And the DEA and other law enforcement agencies were working very hard to shut it all down. And they were being quite successful. And it was impacting Hezbollah's money. And Iran protested. If If they wanted a deal... If the Obama administration wanted to work with Iran on a deal, they had to stop the DEA and law enforcement from shutting down Hezbollah's drug trade. And the Obama administration agreed. The Obama administration chose to allow a drug trade into the United States so that they could get a deal with Iran. The president is tweeting that the media is not covering this, and the media says, well, we read about it in the Politico. That's a, that's a media outlet. That's true. That's fair. But now it's buried. Now it's gone. Now it's off the page. Now they aren't talking about it. And they aren't because there is a bias. There is a media bias. This is a narrative against Barack Obama, and the thing the media feels compelled to do is to protect his legacy. If this was a Republican who had done this, uh, this would be all over the news for days. There would be a major examination of it. This is an example of media bias. Again, it's not so much in what they cover, but in how they cover things. It is how they choose stories. It is how they choose to promote stories. It is their placement. It is the negative story about the Democrat appears on the 15th page of the newspaper. And the negative story about the Republican appears on the 1st. But they can say, oh, well, we covered them both. We gave them the same number of words, but you didn't place them similarly. Similarly situated stories should be placed similarly. And the media doesn't do that because it is a latent form of bias. all I want to spend some time talking about Plant Vogel. We need to talk about Plant Vogel. Uh, we also need to spend a little more time talking about transportation. And let me, if I can for just a minute, expound on the issue with transportation as we're seeing. We had the, the I-85 collapse wound up not being as awful as it could have been because a lot of employers – Uh, We're very flexible with employees getting to and from the office. And there were a lot of employers who allowed employees to telecommute during that time. And it helped that the interstate got fixed a lot faster than people were expecting. They really escalated that, which was good. But we continue to be in a situation in the metro Atlanta area where we are maxing out road capacity. I am not a fan of light rail. Heavy rail, I'm more a fan of. Light rail... Um, seems to never be able to pay for itself in any sort of way, and never to be able uh, is never able to ease the burden of government subsidization in the way heavy rail is, which can also move in more people. Uh, I I have been to many big cities, and I'm not opposed to a subway system in Atlanta. Digging gets expensive. Part of me wonders if we ought to just bite the bullet and, and build uh, infrastructure for a subway system in Atlanta that is not MARTA, that is not moving people north, south, and east, west, and oh, the 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 branch off line that was going to be the yellow line, except that was racist, so it has to be the gold line. Still, so stupid. Um, I just uh, MARTA doesn't cut it for me, and it's still outrageous that they were charging people to ride MARTA from the airport the other day when Chick-fil-A, the private company, was giving away free chicken sandwiches to people. By the way. Some dude was able to score a waffle from Waffle House and put his Chick-fil-A chicken on top of it and was bragging about it. The other passengers who were stranded might have killed him, uh, but he was at least able to pull it off for a photo before getting killed. Nonetheless, uh, airport capacity is something that has to be taken seriously in Georgia, and I don't know that it is. It is 39 after the hour. The House of Representatives is going to have to vote again on the tax bill because of Senate provisions. By the way, I I do have to say that uh, the parliamentarian has said that Ted Cruz's 529 provision uh, violates the Byrd rule, but all they have to do, a a majority vote, would overrule the parliamentarian on that issue. Um, It's just there are a lot of senators, including Bob Corker, who don't want to give crews that win. So it looks like it'll be stripped from the legislation. It's still good legislation, um, but it could be improved with that provision. That's the provision that would allow parents in private schools, religious schools, and homeschools to deduct the cost of uh, tuition for homeschools, the cost of books and supplies for homeschooling. In any event, the phone number, 404-872-0750, wsb talk Now, let me finish off this point on transportation here. I, I made it a little while ago, but for those of you just tuning in, let me expand it a little bit. One of the the issues that a state of Georgia size and of economic impact that Georgia has is that it only has one major airport. Savannah could be a major airport, uh, and they've done some. They they rebranded it the Savannah-Hilton Head Airport, capturing some of the traffic going into South Carolina. Um, You've got Gulfstream there, so you've got large runways in middle Georgia. You've got, uh, the middle Georgia regional airport. It needs really, I mean, it, it should be 1500. It could do with 500, but it really 1500 feet. If they could add to the runway there, it could land 747s right now. it can land up to 757s, uh, but of limited capacity after that, it's got the same sort of runway as the, um, what's not O'Hare, um, not mid, what is the What's the, the smaller airport in Chicago? Anyway, the, the smaller of the two Chicago airports, um, I guess it is midway, um, and. We need to consider offloading some of the aviation capacity, in Atlanta. it's not just roads in the Atlanta area, it's not just congestion from roads, there's air congestion as well. I mean, that's one reason why I, I think that the Paulding County Airport is a ridiculous thing to be blocked. It is an example of Delta's monopoly power in the state and now Southwest's growing power in the state as well. Look at how they're treating JetBlue at the Atlanta airport. Um, Why can't JetBlue fly into Paulding County? Um, There is an organized effort of lobbyists paid for by Delta hurting that effort, but it is very clear we need some other airport capacity in Georgia. Now, a lot of the North Metro Atlanta leaders favor Chattanooga and and a Chattanooga-Atlanta corridor. I personally would support something on the south side of the city, whether it's the Middle Georgia Regional Airport down in Macon or Savannah, Columbus, Albany, something like that, primarily because the Atlanta North Corridor to Chattanooga and Greenville, South Carolina, and Charlotte are growing organically already, and they're going to become more and more congested along the way. And while David Rawson, for example, the Speaker of the House, is deeply worried about investment in rural Georgia— Uh, Give them time. I mean, increasingly, it's harder and harder to take snapshots at night, astrophotography shots in North Georgia, uh, because the lights of Atlanta ever encroach, even in places like Blue Ridge, Dahlonega, um, you name it. But go down to middle Georgia. Go down to South Georgia. You have vast open spaces, rural and poor And the state needs to do a job of figuring out how to attract investment to those areas because you're just going to turn Atlanta into a disaster area constantly by increasing the population base here and increasing the jobs here. But bring in Fortune 500 companies and they don't have anywhere else they can go in the state uh, because of airport capacity and, and internet infrastructure and things like that. The state's got to figure these things out. Uh, they got to figure out how to get these corporations to Georgia without just saying come to Atlanta or Alpharetta or Roswell or Gwinnett County. Uh, they they need to to spread out in the state. Uh, and they can spread out because of existing rail and road infrastructure, but they can't because of airport infrastructure. And that's part of the problem here. And, you know, they're also thinking of, I, I was talking... um. To Bill Crane earlier today saying one of the other proposals instead of tunneling under Atlanta is to build bridges on top of the existing interstates. Super expensive, billions of dollars um, to build new interstates that are literally sit on top of the old interstates, which is what they've done in New York, Chicago, and elsewhere. An easier solution would be to help build um, capacity for airports out of Atlanta. And it's not just to attract business to the state outside of Atlanta. Look at what happened with the airport meltdown. Many of the flights were diverted to other states. They couldn't get them close to Atlanta because there were no other airports in, it, in the area that could help, uh, that, that could handle them. Some of them went to the Middle Georgia Regional Airport because that airport can handle uh, the MD-88s and, and some of the regional commuter jets. But the big 737, 800, and 900s, the 757s and higher— Uh, At full capacity, they had to land them in Myrtle Beach. They had to land them in Chattanooga. They had to land them in Charlotte. They had to land them in in South Carolina. They couldn't get them to Atlanta. And they couldn't get them close. They could have gotten them close. Like, I I got a buddy who Delta sent a bus to pick up his plane in Myrtle Beach. Uh, It was an overnight trip by bus to Atlanta. Um, And it is part of it. They could have gotten closer Except there's no there's no other aviation infrastructure in the state of Georgia right now. It's all of the resources of the state for aviation have poured into Hartsville Jackson. And if they're really really committed to putting businesses in Georgia that invest in Georgia but not just in Atlanta, they're gonna to have to think about air, not just rail and road. It is 55 after the hour. The phone number, 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, to the phones we go. Robert Cartersville, you are up next. Welcome.
0: Hey, thanks, Derek. Simple question. If all these infrastructures do take place in, because of the needs due to your research, from in your opinion, how soon in the future will Atlanta w- require a individual income tax to support itself.
1: I'm, you know, every once in a while there have been people on the Atlanta City Council in the past who have thought about that, but it would require legislative approval at the state level, uh, which has flat out refused to allow local income taxes in Georgia. Uh, And I don't think the Democrats would allow it either.
0: Well, it sounds like then property taxes are going up, up, up.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there isn't a huge way to pay for this unless the state, builds a statewide infrastructure plan but then you know the problem is in the past the rest of the state has always felt like they are paying for Atlanta and they get ignored and they have a l- real argument of why should we pay for Atlanta when Atlanta's not doing anything for us and i'm i i, I they, there's some merit to their argument there there really is um and i i I do wonder when the state is going to get a clue that you can't just focus on the metro Atlanta area. You do have to focus on the Savannahs, Augustas, Macons, Columbus's, Albanys, Valdostas, uh, and the parts in between. You do have to focus on the rural areas. Now, there are, it makes it unattractive for some companies. But as some of these areas are starting to grow with distribution centers and the like in Middle Georgia and along the coast, well, it becomes more attractive. But you got to have the airports to get people there because they don't want to fly into Atlanta or out of state and then drive several hours to get there. They want to be there. Uh, so the state's got to look at that in order to get people there. Now, when we come back, we got to move on because 2017, it's not going to be what everyone said it would. I'll explain. It is nine after the hour. I am Merrick Erickson here. News 955 a.m. 750 WSB. The Resurgent.com. Uh, one more month at Fox News. The phone number. Well, you should know it by now. 404-872-0750. We need to talk about Plant Vogel. For those of you listening out of state, because you know our audience reaches pretty big here, just bragging, humble brag. Plant Vogel is the Georgia power, nuclear power facility they intend to build. And I was opposed years ago when the Georgia legislature changed some laws and rules that allow them to proceed, and I am not an opponent of nuclear power. I am an advocate of nuclear power, and I think if you wish to support a, a clean air and clean water and uh, oppose global warming, you should support nuclear power. Yes, there are downsides, um, but unlike wind power and solar power, you can always get the nuclear power to work. You know, and there are some parts of the country now that are beginning to have crises where they have so gone to wind power, when the wind doesn't blow, they're having blackouts. Australia is having this problem, um, bigly. Australia is having a new Queensland. uh, The state in Australia has totally shut down its coal power plants, doesn't have nuclear, Uh, and is using wind and solar. And they have had an unusual bout there of not very sunny days without a lot of wind, a very stagnant air, and they're having massive blackouts. They've had to get Elon Musk to come down and build a multi-billion dollar battery facility. I'm not opposed to nuclear power. Nuclear power is a good thing. France gets more power from nuclear power than they do from coal, wind, solar. I think we should have nuclear power. But Westinghouse was the contractor for Georgia Power. They've gone bankrupt. There are cost overruns, and we're kind of in a in a bad situation, a catch-22 here. Because if the state regulatory system, the Public Service Commission, doesn't approve proceeding with the power plant, Plant Vogel, Well, Georgia Power is going to have to eat the loss, and the way they're going to eat the loss is they're going to raise rates on consumers and try to sell for scrap what they can. If the state does approve continuing with Plant Vogel, they're going to build a nuclear power plant that, in the best, in the worst projections, I should say, in the worst viable projections, show that the plant won't be able to pay for itself. It will never become a profitable nuclear power plant. So we're in a situation now where we either scrap it and see rates go up to pay for a nuclear power plant that will be leveled, or we see rates go up to pay for a nuclear power plant that will never be able to actually pay for itself. Not a good situation for anybody to be in. Westinghouse, again, uh, was the contractor, and Westinghouse decided that they would build The facility based on their existing uh, schematics for nuclear power plants and they've gone bankrupt. And the costs over in South Carolina, you should know where they shut down uh, the building of nuclear power plant have been phenomenally high. There's not a good situation here for anyone. You can bet this is going to become a political issue next year for Democrats trying to take back the Public Service Commission as well. Um, But again, wind and solar power don't work well in Georgia for a variety of reasons dependent upon location. By the way, my buddy Fred points out that uh, the airport expansion in Lawrenceville as well got killed off uh, by concerns about uh, competing with Delta. And so that never got built, never increasing airport capacity in the state, but Back to Plant Vogel. One of the things that Plant Vogel was taking advantage of was a tax policy in Washington advancing credits to corporations that were um, exploring nuclear energy. That tax credit is going away in this tax reform plan that will be passing the Senate later tonight. Um, It is going away. They're leaving the wind and solar power ones. They're, They're getting rid of the nuclear one. And as it goes away, suddenly this plant, which was only marginally economically viable, is now even less economically viable. There really is no good situation here. They may, I mean, Tim Eccles is noting today that if they sell the parts for scrap, they may get 10 cents on the dollar. Not enough to make up the difference. Part of me, part of me thinks... And I am not strongly bound one way or the other on this. My opinion may change. But part of me thinks we've come this far. See it through. And the reason I say that is because the alternative, if we're not going to build new coal-powered plants, is wind and solar. The problem is that anyone who has ever lived in Georgia knows that solar power is not a super viable option here because we have a lot of cloudy days. And so it's not an efficient source of power. Wind power is fine along the coast in Georgia. In fact, if you drive I-75 as regularly as I do, you will say, for the longest time I thought they were plane wings coming down the interstates on the back of uh, flatbed 18-wheelers. But it's not. It is blades for windmills that they're putting in along the coast in South Georgia. And that's totally viable out there. It's totally viable. Uh, And the wind blows fairly regularly over the ocean, uh, but it's not always viable. Like, for example, in in parts of middle and south Georgia, where you can go days where it is relatively windless. So you need something that generates power 24-7 because those wind and solar only generate power at certain times. And if we're not going to build more coal-powered plants, we need an alternative. We're not going to build more dams and try to do hydroelectric in Georgia, so nuclear power is it. There are plenty of new schematic designs out there for nuclear power. None of them would be appropriate for Plant Vogel at this point. But we got to do something. And I will not blow up the Public Service Commission if they decide to keep going with Plant Vogel. I thought it was a bad idea. If this is a legislative fault. It is not a Public Service Commission fault, by the way. It was the legislature that changed laws to make this possible in ways they shouldn't have done after an aggressive lobbying campaign by Georgia Power, Southern Company, Chamber of Commerce. And I said at the time, writing at peachpundit.com back in the day, that this was going to be a bad deal for consumers. And it is. But right now the question is, is it going to be a bad deal for consumers when they get a rate hike and have nothing to show for it? Or is it going to be a bad deal for consumers when they get a rate hike and at least have something to show for it? And I would rather have something than nothing at this point. And so I think that Plant Vogel probably should proceed. And at this point in the 21st century, I think we can move beyond the fear campaign against nuclear power and just let's build the nuclear power. I can't believe I'm saying it and I'm not strongly convicted by it, but I think at this point... Uh, it's it better to go on and build it and get power from it than try to sell things for scrap and explain to consumers why they're getting a massive rate increase to cover something that never got built. It is 625. I am Eric Erickson. Y'all, there's a story that's been circulating out there that the... Uh, HH, Department of Health and Human Services, particularly for the CDC, has banned the use of certain words, including science-based and evidence-based, uh, diversity. Those are some of the words banned. And it, this was a big story. I wrote about it at the resurgent and I kept writing, if this story is true, it doesn't sound good. If this story is true, they shouldn't be doing this. If this story is true, it sounds censorious. Because it sounded to me to be too good to be true, but it was in the Washington Post and picked up by other media outlets. It turns out not to be true. Nope. Um, a, A writer at National Review did something the Washington Post apparently didn't do and called HHS officials. And the HHS officials said that they're not banning the use of words at the CDC. They produced a style guide, and the style guide recommended that certain words be avoided because they are overused, and certain words be avoided lest they raise the eyebrows or inquisitiveness of members of the Budget Committee in Congress, particularly the Republicans. So uh, transgenderism, research into transgenderism, uh, they wanted to not use that if other words could be used in case Republican members on the budget committee say, why would you be funding this stuff in the Trump administration? They did not want the CDC to use evidence-based or science-based in their budget statements because in a word search of last year's budget, They used the words ad nauseum uh, when other words could have more accurately described uh, the research that was being done as opposed to science-based or evidence-based. They wanted better descriptions. That's all it was. They weren't banning them. And the document, by the way, left out of the Washington Post report makes clear that if you are unable to come up with other words to use, use those words. So the story amounts to nothing. And this is a great contrast to the Politico story on Barack Obama and Hezbollah. The media, multiple media outlets have covered repeatedly the CDC banning words, and the story turns out not to be true. Very few media outlets have touched the story about Hezbollah. Now, interestingly enough, I'm reading at the Daily Caller right now. Remember the House IT guy who worked for Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who has been arrested? um, Millions of dollars, it looks like he used House email servers and house web servers to raid the um, the co- secure computers and whatnot. Um, there are allegations he might have been running one of the phony car dealership used car dealerships for Hezbollah. The, this is the, the speculation of the Daily Caller piece. He ran a car lot, and when people would show up at the uh, Cars International whatever—the initials were CIA, by the way— um, that they would go across the street to another car dealership and bring that car over to the lot for people to look at. They didn't actually have cars on their used car lot. Um, Raises some red flags there, doesn't it? Uh, On Plant Vogel again, uh, Sam Nunn, the distinguished former senator, uh, Democrat, he has come out and said that uh, it is worth continuing Plant Vogel. Um, He realizes the costs and realizes the problems and realizes the overruns, but thinks long term it's still worth it. And, you know, look, again, if we're not going to continue with coal power plants, It makes sense that we do nuclear, and I realize there were a lot of uh, people on the left, environmentalists on the left, who are opposed to nuclear power Um, because there is waste from nuclear power plants, and you got to deal with the the waste. But what else are you going to do? You can't – listen, there was a time when we relied on solar power, wind power, and even the burning of animal waste to provide power. And it was called the Dark Ages. I think we probably need to continue on with Plant Vogel, even though it's costly. Um, It should have never been started, but now that it's been started, uh, we might as well see it through. Also, I do want to get into Sally Yates here in a minute, but a Mexican journalist has been shot to death at an elementary school Christmas party in Veracruz, becoming the 10th journalist killed in Mexico. The journalist, thirty four year old Gamaro Perez Aguilando, was attending a Christmas party at his child's school. He covered crime news for local outlets. He started an online news site. He also worked for the local government in, in various capacities. He belonged to a preventative program for safe coverage of the State Commission for Attention and Protection of Journalism since 2015, uh, which refers to the mechanisms for reporting the diminished danger and high-risk events. Nevertheless, regrettably, he was had not made us aware of having received any threats. Essentially, he was uh, a targeted journalist. He hadn't received any threats, and he did not notify uh, the state that he would be going to this kid's Christmas party, his own child's Christmas party, and he's been gunned down killed in front of his own child i bring this up because there is a daily meltdown among journalists about president trump's treatment of them they are not getting gunned down at their children's christmas programs they're not everything these days is off the charts I mean, tax reform package, the worst bill ever. Republicans uh, are going to kill people. It, trying to repeal Obamacare, people are going to die. On and on and on and on and on. It is off the change. It, it is a sign of a country that has it really easy that uh, both sides, it's not just Democrats. Listen, I am the man who had people show up on my freaking front porch to threaten me because I wasn't supporting the president in 2016. Both sides engage in this behavior. I've had my kids yelled at in a grocery store. I've had them come home from school with other kids telling them their parental conversations were that I was going to get killed. Both sides do this sort of hyperbole and overblown rhetoric about the politics of the day. Both sides do, and it does. It can incite people. It can incite crazy people. We have seen that with the guy in Virginia gunning down Republicans, shooting Steve Scalise. We've we've seen this. But journalists are not getting killed routinely in the streets in the United States of America for covering the president of the United States or crime in the United States. And it is a ridiculous hyperbole to try to equate what's going on here to what's going on in Mexico. And yet there are reporters who try to do it. And we should use incidents like this to remind the American media who thinks that we're on the verge of some sort of dictatorship or something. You have it really, really good. So stop, stop complaining. Okay, so Sally Yates, uh, y'all know Sally Yates? She's from Georgia, and she has pinned an op ed. In USA Today, what are we as a country? Time to decide. Over the course of our nation's history, we have faced inflection points. Times when we had to decide who we are as a country and what we stand for. Now is such a time. Beyond policy disagreements and partisan gainsmanship, there is something much more fundamental hanging in the balance. Will we remain faithful to our country's core values? Our founding documents set forth the values that make us who we are, or at least what we aspire to be. I say aspire to be be because we haven't always lived up to our founding ideals, even at the time of our founding. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And she concludes... We are not living in ordinary times, and it is not enough for us to admire our nation's core values from afar. Our country's history is littered with individuals and factions who have tried to exploit our imperfections, but it is more powerfully marked by those whose vigilance towards a more perfect union has prevailed. So stand up, speak out! Our country needs all of us to raise our collective voices to support our democratic ideals and institutions! She's running. You don't pin something like this unless you're running for political office. If you're in Sally Ace's position, is she running for governor in Georgia? Is she running for the Senate in Georgia? Is she going to run elsewhere? I don't know, but she's running for something. If she's doing something like this, she's running. Now, here's the thing. And, and this is this I got to say. Sally Yates is pinning is a piece saying we got to stand up for our values. One of the fundamental underlying founding principles of the United States of America and the colonies of the United States to which it is the successor is religious freedom. The pilgrims came over here because of religious freedom. Maryland was established because of religious freedom. The states put religious freedom as in the very beginning of the Bill of Rights. Every of one of the founding states took religious liberty seriously. And yet Sally Yates comes down on the side of the gay person who would force the Christian to bake them a cake for their wedding. So don't tell me she's standing up for the val- the founding values of this country when she will prioritize 1960 sexual revolution values over the founding values of this country related to religious liberty. That's a bunch of horse manure. She can preen all she wants, but until liberals start standing up and saying, you know what, we should be able to leave each other alone and disagree and I don't have to shop there without the state coming in and shutting you down because I disagree with you. Until they do that, I don't believe them. They can morally preen over founding values all they want but forcing a Christian to bake a cake for a religious ceremony that violates his beliefs. We're not saying no gays allowed because Jack Phillips, before the Supreme Court, he allowed gays in. He even willing to give them a wedding cake. Just wasn't going to customize it. And Sally Yates would have been on the side against him. That's a problem. So... Hillary Clinton's favorable rating has come out from Gallup. It has dropped to an all-time low of 36 to 61, 36 percent popularity, 61 unfavorable. That makes her even more unpopular than Donald Trump, who is still beating Hillary Clinton a year after the election, still beating Hillary Clinton in terms of popularity. This is that's crazy. Um, by the way, 2017 has something that everyone said it wasn't going to have. Can, can anybody guess? What is 2017, I guess I should say, what does 2017 not have that everyone said it would have? Everybody, every news outlet at the beginning of 2017 said this year would have something that it does not have. Every major publication, CNN... Uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, the, the London Telegraph, the London Times, the London Sun, the Canadian Press, the Australian, they all said this year would have something that it turns out it doesn't have. Record for hottest year. Nope. Nope. 2015 and 2016 beat 2017. It will only, in the best-case scenario for environmentalists, be the third hottest year. They all said this would be another record-breaking year, and it's not. And on that note, my friends, I'm out of time, and we'll see you guys tomorrow night.